0: Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for even the fog, knowing that when our days look foggy, Father, you always know what's around the corner. And so we thank you for this study. We thank you for the lessons that you're teaching us about the I am's. Father, I pray that you would speak to each of us today where we need to hear you. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think back to a time, to the time, when you first heard about Jesus Christ. Uh, Maybe you were a little girl and you were going to, you were in Sunday school, or maybe you were at vacation Bible school and you first heard about Jesus Christ. Or maybe you were older in life, you were an adult and somebody maybe, uh, invited you to come to something, and you heard about them, or they talked to you, shared their life, what was it about him that drew you into a relationship with him? What was it about him that made you want to get to know him better? Well, we heard some of those stories last week from our women, and we, we all have a story about how we met Christ. What is your story? How did you come to know him? Well, this week we looked at the story of a Samaritan woman and how she met Jesus. And he officially introduced himself to her in John four twenty six, when he said, I who speak to you am he. Meaning, I... <coughs> And the Messiah that you are waiting for, that you're talking about. I'm him. And her life was changed from that point on. Jesus changes lives. He changes us. And so what can we learn about Jesus from this story in John 4? And as I was working on this lecture and studying this passage this week, I started writing down observations about Jesus, things that just stood out to me about him. And I started making a list. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to share eight things. Yes, eight, but we're going to go through them quickly. But I want to share eight things that stood out to me about Jesus from the story of the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. So go ahead, turn in your Bibles to John 4. We're not going to read all the scripture. But I want you just to be able to refer to some of these verses as we look at them. We're going to look at these eight things, and then with each of these eight things, I will give you an application for each one. So the first thing that stood out to me about Jesus in this passage was that he was sensitive to the situation around him. Uh, The first three verses of John 4 give us the setting story. He was aware that the Pharisees were taking notice that he was baptizing all these people. And they were starting to get a little concerned about that. Hmm, this guy is baptizing. John's disciples were hearing that and noticing that Jesus was baptizing, his disciples were baptizing more than they were. And so maybe there was some jealousy going on. And there was starting to perhaps brew this controversy where the the Pharisees were going to start stirring things up about Jesus. And he knew it wasn't his time yet to go to the cross and to reveal who he was in that way. And, And so he knew it wasn't that time yet, and he was sensitive to the situation. And so he left Judea, left the situation, removed himself, and went back to Galilee to avoid any conflict or problems that might arise from that situation. The application here for us, he was sensitive to what was going on. Are you sensitive to what's going on around you? Are you sensitive to even the feelings of what people are, are feeling around you? Are you willing to adapt in order to do what's best in that situation? That's the first thing I noticed, that he was sensitive to the situation around him. The second thing I noticed is that he was attentive to his father's leading. Verse 4 tells us that he had to pass through Samaria. And in verses 5 and 6, it says he came to a city in Samaria called Sychar, where Jacob's well was. Jesus, it says that he had to go through Samaria. We don't know exactly what that means. He wasn't on a timeline necessarily to get to, um, you know, Galilee early. But he knew he had to pass through Samaria. And he took the path that most Jews would have avoided. And I want to show you a map of Israel at that time. Uh, it's really, it was made up of three sections. In the north was Galilee, where the Sea of Galilee is. The middle was Samaria, and the, the southern part was Judea, where Jerusalem is. And if they had to go, if a Jew had to go from Judea to Galilee, they the shortest route was through Samaria. But they would not go through Samaria if they could avoid it. And so they would, the most common route was to go to the east, cross the Jordan River, go into Perea, go north, and then once they passed Samaria, they'd cut back and go into Galilee. It was a long route. Others would go along the coastal route, but they would do whatever they could to avoid going through Samaria because the Jews and the Samaritans strongly disliked each other. And you read about this in your study. It all stems back to when Uh, Assyria took over the northern part of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, in 722 BC. And when they did, they exported some of the Jews out of the country, and they imported some non-Jews in, and as a result, they intermarried. And so they became a mixed race, and the Samaritans were this mixed race. And the southern Jews felt like they were not pure Jews. They had lost their purity, and they did not like them. And to make it worse, uh, they wouldn't let them come and worship in Jerusalem, so they built their own temple in Gerizim, and that caused even more conflict about you shouldn't be worshiping there. And so there was this disdain for each other, and the Jews would not go through Samaria if if they could avoid it. They would not even share utensils like cups or or jugs with a Samaritan. That's how much they felt like they were so impure. However, Jesus took that route and went straight through Samaria. Why? I think he did it because the Father led him to Samaria because that was the Father's leading, and he knew he had a divine appointment waiting for him there. And he followed the leading of the Father. So the application here for us to consider, are you attentive to God's leading in your life? Are you attentive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in you, maybe prompting you to to meet with somebody that you weren't planning on meeting with, but he put a name on your heart. And I've had it where God has laid on my heart write this person a card or pick up the phone and call this person. And when I do, I find out they tell me, oh my gosh, that was the perfect timing. I needed that. Are we attentive to his leading and do we obey? That was the second thing I noticed about Jesus. He was attentive and he followed the Father's leading. The third thing I noticed was that he was fully God and fully man. As a man, he experienced the same things we do hunger, thirst. He got tired. In verses 6 to 8, it tells us So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to drink water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. He was tired, just like we get tired. You know, it tells us that this was the sixth hour of the day, and and I was telling the leaders, there are two different views on this. If you go by the Jewish time, it was noon. If you go by the Roman time... It was 6 o'clock in the evening. And commentators, I mean, they're pretty divided on this. I lean towards the Jewish time at noon because that would be the time that nobody would be there. It was the heat of the day. Most of the women would come early in the morning or at dusk when it wasn't so hot. And so I, I can't imagine her coming... Um, at a time that the other women would be there because she was probably feeling ashamed when she was around, knew that they were getting in little huddles because they would come. That was their social time to draw water and they would talk. And you know how women can be. They can get together and go, did you hear about so-and-so? Can you believe she's doing this? I don't, I, I, my, so my personal feeling is that it was probably the heat of the day at noon. And It doesn't really matter, but that's just my thoughts on the time of it. But he was thirsty, just like we get. He was fully God, but he was fully human. So the application of this is when you begin to question if God understands what you're feeling, whether it's physical or emotional things? He does. Because he was man. He knows what it was like to be betrayed. He knows what it was like to have people talk about him. He knows what it was like to be tired, having to go to sleep. He knew. He's human. And so when we begin to doubt that he doesn't understand, just remember, he was fully man. He does understand. And then the fourth thing that stood out to me was he was not afraid to go against the cultural norm. Uh, We see that in verses three through nine. And we see that in several ways. Uh, We've already talked about one way. He went through Samaria to Galilee when most of the Jews would have avoided that route and might have criticized him for, well, see, he's going through this country that's this area that's that's impure. But he did not let that cultural norm impact what he did. A second way that he uh, he went against the cultural norm is that he initiated a conversation with a Samaritan. Jews did not initiate conversations with Samaritans. But he did. He was sitting at the well when she came up to draw water, he could have totally ignored her, or he could have just gotten up and thought, "Not, I'm just going to walk away. But he didn't. He struck up a conversation with a Samaritan that was unheard of in that cultural time among the Jews at that point. A third thing he did against the cultural norm is that he spoke to a woman, not just a Samaritan. He spoke to a woman. Jewish leaders did not speak to women in public. Jewish husbands didn't even speak to their wives in public. That was a no-no. But he was not afraid to go against the cultural norm. And then a fourth way is that he wasn't even afraid. He was willing to drink out of the Samaritan's cup or jug or vessel when he asked her, would you give me a drink? That was unheard of, because they would not even use the same vessels. All of these things went against the cultural norm for the Jews. Why did Jesus step outside the boundaries? Because he saw the need in this woman for a savior. He saw her need, and he didn't limit the gift of grace to just men or to just Jews. It was for everyone, and he saw her need for a savior. The application here is, are you willing to step outside the box to go against the world's thinking of what's normal or or right, politically correct? Are you willing to um, go against the cultural norm? Are you willing to share the gospel with somebody and and take a step out somewhere that people might think you're crazy? I'm reading a a good book. Uh, Some of you know that one of my favorite uh, devotional writers is Lucinda Seacrest McDowell, and I'm reading a book that she it just came out in November, called um, "Life Giving Choices," and Lucinda lived in the home of Elizabeth Elliot when she was an intern in in seminary. And just to get free room and board, she would do some lighthouse work and type up some of the manuscripts for Elizabeth. And so she would talk to her, have these one-on-one conversations with Elizabeth Elliot, and she talks about how. One day, she asked Elizabeth the question, why would a young widow take her toddler daughter to live deep in the South American jungle among the very same people who had speared her husband to death? Because culturally, you would think, you're crazy. That does not make any sense. So Lucinda asked her, and Elizabeth Elliot's response was, God called me to take the gospel message to the Warrani. So when the opportunity arose, I followed obediently. And she said that people warned her, do not go to the jungle, you're going to be killed. You're going to kill your daughter by taking her. Some um, told her that you're mistaken, you did not hear God's will right. You heard You heard it wrongly. But she said she knew it was the duty that lay before her. And she held firm to what she believed God was leading her to do. Elizabeth Elliot wasn't afraid to go against the cultural norm for the sake of the gospel. She wasn't afraid to do what she knew God was leading her to do, even though everybody around her thought she was crazy. And so are we afraid to go against the cultural norm. Are we willing to follow God's leading when people around us tell us that we're crazy? He didn't. He was willing to step out and follow God's leading. The fifth thing I learned about him in this is that he is the source of eternal life. That's something we, we know, but it's something I just thought, you know, that's something that, We don't want to take for granted. Uh, Verses 10 to 13, Jesus used a physical need, thirst, to point out a spiritual need, a deeper thirst for fulfillment that we're always looking for. And yes, we get thirsty physically and water fills that need temporarily, but it'll never fill that need permanently, which is what she kept thinking he was talking about. But we have a spiritual thirst, and we thirst for something that would satisfy our longings. And Jesus offers the living water that will quench our spiritual thirst once and for all. And, of course, we know when she asked, when Jesus asked her for a drink, she questioned him and said, You know, how is it that you, being a Jew, would ask me, a Samaritan woman, to give you a drink? And in verse 10, he answers with words that begin to point her toward understanding who he is. And he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. He wanted her to understand that God had a gift for her and all she had to do was ask. He wanted her to understand that he was the one that was able and willing to give her that gift of living water. And so what is that living water? I'm sure you talked about this in your group this morning. It's eternal life through Jesus Christ. Eternal life through Jesus quenches our thirst for all those mores that we're wanting and, and the thirst and the hunger. It quenches it because everything that we long for and need is found in Jesus Christ. And it's a gift. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. We just have to ask him for it. The application here is, have you accepted that gift of living water? eternal life, by accepting Jesus as your Savior. And if you hadn't, don't ignore this precious gift. And if you have accepted his gift, the question I'd have for you is, and me, I've asked myself this, are you living your life in such a way that pleases the one who died to give you that gift? Are you living your life in a way that expresses gratitude for what he's done? And are you sharing that gift with others or holding it closely, keeping it to yourself? The sixth thing that stood out to me about Jesus is that he shows us our need for a Savior. Verses 16 to 18. He did this with the Samaritan woman in verse 16. He said, go, call your husband and come here. Why did he tell her to do that when he knew she didn't have a husband? He knew all about her. He knew that she'd been married five times. He knew that she was living with a man at that time who wasn't her husband. So why did he say that? Because he wanted her to see that her life was a mess. And she needed a Savior. He knew everything about her, and by gently pointing out those things, I know this about you. I know these things. But he did it with love. He was convicting her of her sins and gently loving her at the same time. He didn't condemn her, but he showed her that she needed a Savior. Who would satisfy her thirst for belonging, for being loved, but he would satisfy eternally. She needed he wanted to show her that she needed a savior who could and would clean up her life by pointing out, I know what your situation is. We all the application here is that we all have a need for a savior because we're all sinners. And after we place our faith in him as our savior, he continually cleans up our messy lives. I told the Lord the other day, I thought, my life is a mess. And, and not in a bad way, like I'm not doing anything wrong. But I just thought, Lord, I'm so busy and I'm just so, I thought, I'm a mess. I can't even keep my focus on one thing or another. And I thought, but we're all messes, and we all need him to clean up and straighten out our lives. He changed my life. He straightened mine out in college big time. Are you allowing him to clean up those messes in your life, to change you, to conform you to his image? The Samaritan woman was looking for men or looking to men to satisfy that thirst in her soul, But only the living water found in Christ could satisfy that thirst. What are we looking for to satisfy that thirst in us? And then the seventh thing that stood out to me, again, this is nothing new for us, but I don't want to ever just gloss over it. Seventh, he is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And he told her in verse 26, I am he, the Messiah, who will pay for your sins. And she began to see him, not just as a Jewish man asking her for water, but yet began to see her as, could this be the Savior, the promised Messiah that I have been hearing about and waiting for? And God used that divine appointment with a Samaritan woman to bring not just her, but other Samaritans to him through her story. And in verses 39 to 42, we learn that many of the Samaritans believed in him because of what she was sharing. They said, we know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. One life made a big difference. So the application, what impact are you making with your one life to bring others to Jesus, to draw them closer to him? And I'm going to give us a challenge, and this is a challenge for me because I work in a church, (laughs) and I'm surrounded by Christians. But I'm praying this, and I'm going to challenge you to pray this. Ask God to bring one person across your path during this study during these next eight weeks, that you could share the gospel with, or point them to Jesus. I was thinking about that when I was walking in this morning. God, I, I, I want to be sensitive. I want to be looking around me, because I know there are people that need to hear. Then the last thing. See, I told you we'd go through these eight things quickly. The last thing that stood out to me about him is that he finds satisfaction in doing the Father's will. Verses 31 to 38, he had an interesting conversation with his disciples. He was talking to the woman he had finished, apparently. The disciples show back up after they had gone to get food and... Their first response was that they were amazed that he was even talking to a Samaritan woman. Shows us their cultural bias. And then the woman left her jug and she went back to her village to invite others to come and meet this man. She was beginning to see that he was the Messiah. And so then the disciples... humorously urged him to eat. Come on, uh, eat. We brought food. And his response in verse 32 was, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And the disciples were confused by his answer, thinking, you know, he's talking about physical food. Did somebody bring him food while we were gone? They're still thinking along those physical lines. And he responded in verse 34, my food is is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The cross. Jesus was satisfied. He was filled up by the food of doing the Father's will. It's just like when we eat a good hamburger. I, think about, I thought about this when I was in Mexico and we'd been out in El Yano eating all kinds of stuff that I didn't like. And we come to Mexico City, and I don't know if Joanne Heslop is here, but Joanne and I were sitting at a restaurant in uh, Mexico City after the week in El Llano and we were sharing a burger. I don't know if you remember this, but I remember as we were eating that burger at this restaurant, I was saying, oh, mm, this is the best burger I've ever eaten. And there was this satisfaction Jesus finds satisfaction. He is filled up by doing the food of the Father's will. And he challenged his disciples to do that work that they were called to do when he talked about, look on the fields, they're white for harvest. You go and share the gospel. Reap this harvest. So what's the application here? What fills you up? What brings you satisfaction and fulfillment in life like that cheeseburger did in Mexico City? Or whatever food it is that you love. What is it that brings you that, oh, this, this feels, this is good? Do you find fulfillment in carrying out your God-given purpose? Do you know what your God-given purpose is? And are you are you finding fulfillment in it that it satisfies you? And maybe you're doing something that drains you. Maybe that is not the food that God has for you. Maybe you are feasting on the wrong food. Jesus was satisfied with doing the Father's will. What satisfies us? And are we doing that? You know, I feel like God has me right where he wants me today because in this job, in this ministry, I get to do the very things that I feel like God made me to do, that he gifted me to do, that he gave me a heart for. And that's teaching and writing and discipling. Spurring people on, to passionately pursue Jesus Christ and that's my mission statement. I hope you have a mission statement because then you focus everything you do around that mission statement and there's nothing that gives me greater satisfaction than doing what I'm doing now because that's the food that God has given me. What has he given you? So in this story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, we see eight things about Jesus. And you can add more. I could have added more. We just, I knew you would scream at me if I gave you more than eight. But he was sensitive to the situation around him. He was attentive to his father's leading. He was fully God, fully man. He wasn't afraid to go against the cultural norm. He is the source of eternal life. He shows us our need for a savior He's the Messiah, the Savior of the world. <clears throat> he finds satisfaction in doing the Father's will. Which of those things impacts you today or makes you sit down and think about it? And I hope you will. This was the Samaritan's woman's story and how she met the Savior. And we all have a story. And will we follow the example of the Samaritan woman and make a difference with our lives by sharing our story. I'm going to close in prayer, and then I'm going to play, we're going to play a video of one of the songs. Becky ends her um, each day's lesson with a song for you to listen to, and I don't always listen to it right after my quiet time, but I'll go back later and listen. And there's a song I wanted to play that I just think, is just a good reminder and we'll make it kind of our, our prayer time. Um, just, you can sit, you can close your eyes, you can listen, think, pray, but let me pray. And then Bethany, I'll have you play that. And then we're dismissed. Father, thank you so much again for this lesson from the Samaritan woman. Thank you for the fact that you are all these things to us, that you're our Messiah, you're the living water, you're the savior that came for us you give us satisfaction, you fill us up, you know our needs, you meet our needs. Father, I pray that we would be bold women who step out, out of the boundaries of the cultural norm to make a difference. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.